Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ the teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice, calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to Him. I'm Kyle Pietrantonio, your co-host. And I'm Father Randy Sly, and today we are going to be talking with Andrea Chavez Kopp, who is the Chief Learning Officer for the Procedo Project, uh, which seeks to partner with schools to develop, implement, and curate innovative models of Catholic education. Now, Andrea is a 20-year veteran of Catholic education and youth ministry. She holds a BA in secondary ed and a Master of Education in Instructional Leadership from St. Leo University. And after working for Catholic schools in Florida, she spent five Five years with the National Catholic Education Association as the Director of Formation and Digital Engagement, and then as Director of Advancement in Business Development. And in looking over her biography, I just want to uh, encourage those of us who have extra roles in our school assignment, because in her last school, Andrea served as middle school lead teacher, six to eight STEM co-teacher, faculty technology mentor, iPad coordinator, G Suite administrator, as well as youth minister. So Andrea, uh, you really had your hands full at that school and welcome to the program. Thank you. We call that other duties as assigned in Catholic education. <laughs> exactly. And that usually is the is the big portion of the job description. Andrew, we're so glad you could be with us on Follow to Lead. Um, and as we begin our, our time together, uh, we'd like to invite you just to share a bit about your background um, and especially why Catholic education and Catholic schools have been an important part of your life. Yeah, thank you. You know, people ask me about my background and sort of how I went on this career path. And, and I, it's really and truly by accident, uh, very infused with the Holy Spirit. I, you know, never necessarily intended specifically to, to be in Catholic education. I knew I wanted to be a teacher. You know, I, I grew up Catholic. I went to a Catholic university, but you know, I, I graduated and that, that first opportunity I got was in a Catholic school and everyone since has been either in church parish ministry or, or in Catholic education. Yeah, every time I've intentionally looked for a job, I never found one. And every time I wasn't looking, you know, God put me where I needed to be. So that is, uh, 
you know, it has led me to be very comfortable with, you know, my vocation and that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, God moves those chess pieces <laughs> when he wants to. So I uh, came to, I was in in school and parish ministry and then came to the national level quite accidentally uh, through attending an NCEA convention where I got sort of um, plucked and, and recruited uh, to come to the DC area. So I, I moved my kiddos and, and we came up here and that's where I started my career with the NCEA. Uh, and if you look at that bio, Father Randy, you'll see that I think I had a different title every year I was at NCEA as well. So I got to do a little bit of everything <laughs> there uh, as you know, leadership changed. And, and I was very blessed with that time because my worldview just expanded quickly and I made so many great connections and I've just been really blessed in my career to get to do a lot of different things. Uh, and uh, now here we are with the Presido Project, which has been, um, you know, sort of a dream for a while. All of the things, all of those passion projects and things that I wished I had more time for, you know, that's what I get to do all the time now. So it's really just been a blessing. Uh, Andrew, you, you mentioned uh, that it was somewhat accidental how you got involved with working for NCA. And when you and I first connected, you shared that that funny story. And uh, I'd love it if you would recount that for our audience. <laughs> Absolutely. If, if we have the time, I'm happy to do it. It's a great story. I was I was at the NCEA convention. Uh, I was I was teaching in Florida, in Panama City, Florida. The convention it was 2015 was in Orlando. I actually had never heard of the NCA. I'd been teaching 15 years. I didn't know that organization existed, uh, but they were in Florida. And the our principal at the time said, well, we're going to go to this. And, and we road tripped. Now, um, for those of you who were in the classroom in 2015, especially if you taught little bitty, uh, there was Catholic Exchange had this social media contest called Flat Francis because Pope Francis was coming to the U.S. So for those of you who don't know about Flat Francis, it's like the, the book Flat Stanley, a little, a little paper doll. So we took Flat Francis with us because one of the teachers was a kindergarten teacher. And we were taking pictures and selfies all along the road trip and then at the convention and, you know, the, the convention center was huge and it was just a big deal to be there. I'd never been to anything like that before. So we decided we wanted a picture of Flat Francis on the big stage. Uh, so, you know, we, we couldn't get onto the stage. So we decided, I decided, well, I'm going to just go ask someone if they'll do it. And the front row of that big convention center was reserved for NCEA staff. So I, you know, I don't know anything about anything. I figure I'm never going to see these people again. What difference does it make? I just march up there and say, hi, I'm Andrea. I'm from Panama City. We have Flat Francis. And I really want you to put this on the Jumbotron so I can take a picture. That was my whole goal, to get a picture from my school social media. Uh, Nobody wanted to deal with me, and rightfully so. Now that I, I spent so much time working for the NCEA, I don't know how I wasn't escorted from the building for doing this. But, you know, so they kind of said, oh, you have to talk to so-and-so and so-and-so. -and -so. so I had worked my way down the line sort of asking, hey, I'm, I just want this picture on here. Can you help me out? And I just so they kind of just passed the buck. And then I finally turned to the next person and said, are you important enough to make a decision or not? <laughs> and he said, young lady. And I just said, listen, this is what I want. It's very simple. I, I wanted to, I want to take a picture. I'm from Panama city and we have flat Francis. And, you know, so finally I didn't realize I was talking to at the time, the president and the vice president of the NCA. I didn't know who they were. So, you know, the, the lights are flashing and it's time. And I, I give them flat Francis and we go sit down 
And then the keynote comes up and gives this wonderful moving talk that I don't remember at all because I was just wondering if they were going to do Flat Francis or not. So at the end, uh, the president of NCA comes up and he thanks the keynote for their 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 words. And uh, he says, and now there's a special dignitary I'd like to introduce and holds up Flat Francis. Well, we were hooting and hollering because we're Florida people. We hoot and holler. We, that's not a hoot and hollering kind of event, I learned, but we did. And it was it was great because, you know, 80% of that audience is, is elementary school teachers and Catholic schools. So they were all doing it. They all knew exactly what that was. I think it became the most photographed moment of that convention. <laughs> But that silliness sort of led to, you know, we went up, we said, thank you. And the leadership there at the time, you know, said that was just so, you remind me what it's like to work in a school. That was so fun. And, it, and is there anything we can ever do for you? And at that point in time, I just started my master's and had leadership and I needed a mentor and that led to conversations. And, you know, by the end of that convention, uh, you know, they just said, you know, we're restructuring. This sounds kind of crazy, but would you ever consider moving to DC? And then obviously over a period of months and interviews, you know, that happened, but really it was predicated on just flat Francis, a paper doll. So when, when I say the Holy spirit is really what led me to my career path, that that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that is such a great story. And uh, I remember the flat Francis days back, uh, back in 2015. That is, that is super. You, you know, Andrea, you mentioned uh, the Procedo Project and what you're doing now. Could you kind of share with us a little bit of the, the genesis of the Procedo Project? Yes. Uh, you know, my, my partner in founding the Procedo Project um, is the CEO of Edgescape. We had worked together in a, in a business relationship at the NCEA. Uh, we, we became fast friends because uh, Alex is very, you know, in, in the ed tech space, with, which I am. Uh, and we, you know, we always wanted to elevate and, and do a lot of programs. And, you know, NCEA had, had to be all things to all people. We did some great work with NCEA and Edgescape when I was there, including uh, offering ESD certification to Catholic schools across the country. We put that program together. Uh, and, and really, that for those of you who don't know, ISTE is the International Society for Technology and Education. Year one of their national certification, Catholic schools were the largest group of people who were ISTE certified. I mean, we were just so proud of that work. And, and we always wanted to do more and more and more. Those are our personalities. Uh, so he'd always, you know, sort of said, when, it, when you're ready to leave NCA, let me know. Well, you know, there's so much work to be done in Catholic schools. You know, when is anyone ever ready to leave? Uh, but with, you know, COVID happening and, you know, really a lot of a lot of things canceled and downsized and uncertainty and the schools just had so much need. You know, Alex said, I just really think it's time. So, you know, we said, let's let's do this. We started out with Presido with really just helping with hybrid and remote learning, just really triage, you know, help helping get uh, teachers and dioceses learning about uh technology in the classroom, how to adapt, uh, keeping themselves and kids safe, those types of things. So that the summer was very, very heavy in, in that area. But the real mission of the Presido Project is innovation and sustainability in Catholic education, in all facets of Catholic education. Uh, instructional strategies is certainly an important part of that, but it's not the only one. We want to look at what innovation and sustainability means across many facets. So what does that look like in faith formation? What does that look like in leadership formation? Uh, how are we looking at financial models differently? You know, the the financial structure of Catholic schools often is, you know, we're operating at a loss. We're not charging as much as it 
cost to educate a child is, you know, so, so we're, are we needing to challenge some of the very basic tenets of how we look at and do things? Uh, we certainly don't pretend to have all of the answers, but we really are passionate about leading the conversations and also highlighting the really good things that are happening in Catholic schools. You know, these, these Catholic schools have been just leaders nationally in, in opening schools, in, in managing COVID and keeping kids safe and taking on hybrid and remote instruction. You know, many times just over, over a weekend, they just, they just figured it out out of necessity. And while there have been bumps in the road when there's that sort of massive change, uh, we want to make sure that those, those practices that have worked or those stories are being told and that we don't get through the pandemic and say, we're glad that's over. Let's just go back to the way it was because the way it was really wasn't working before. And I don't say that because I'm saying anything negative about Catholic education. It's really, you know, we've seen for years and years and years, thus the headlines of Catholic school enrollment dropping. Uh, and there was just, NCA just released their data a couple months ago about Catholic school enrollment being the lowest it's been in 50 years. Uh, but even if there hadn't been a pandemic, Catholic school enrollment would be the lowest it's been in 50 years. You know, so we really need to look at um, some of those structures. And perhaps a blessing of the pandemic is that we now have permission to step outside of our comfort zones and really challenge ourselves to do things in new ways. Andrew, you recently had your inaugural uh, conference event with the Presidio Project uh, called Forefront 2021. Can you tell us a bit about what you were wanting to achieve with this event and if there were any highlights uh, from this first conference for you? Absolutely. We were very excited about Forefront. We did, I mean, we really did this, again, as a leap of faith. We didn't know how many people would come. We don't know if people were tired of being online and, you know, but you know, I, organ I have organized a lot of professional development uh, conferences and events. And, you know, the, the common factor that I get frustrated with in them is when the topics and the talks are too sort of ethereal and uh, not practical. So one of the really important um, qualifiers we had for inviting presenters to be a part of Forefront was they needed to have something practical that somebody could implement right away. We wanted practical strategies. We also wanted practitioners. Um, you know, I love consultants, but we wanted practitioners. They have a different kind of credibility, especially, you know, sort of in, in a high need time. The other qualifier I had when I invited people to present was I don't want anything you've done anywhere else. Um, I don't want you to just reuse a PowerPoint. If, if you did it a year ago, it's obsolete. So I worked with people that, you know, I knew would, would rise to that challenge and had something interesting to say. Uh, I have been very lucky in, in working with so many presenters uh, over the years that, you know, I... I know lots of people, <laughs> so I, I felt excited to be able to pull together just a really high quality, high caliber uh, group of educational leaders and practitioners to just offer that 
back to Catholic education. You know, it just was something we decided, you know, we just really want to give this to people. It's, it's different. Uh, you know, some of the highlights were, you know, that people showed up, honestly, we were, we were excited. You know, we had, you know, great attendance for our first event. Uh, we used our event head platform, which, you know, we, we went beyond kind of like just the, the series of zoom links. We, we put it in an event platform. We think that went very well. We had some excellent talent, uh, especially uh, Peter Reynolds, who was our, our headline keynote, who's a very famous children's author and illustrator. Uh, we had Michael Roberto. Uh, we had New York Times bestselling author Jody Blanco. Uh, we, we just had a great cast of, of characters sort of sharing their talents, great presenters. And I mean, it's, it's hard for me to say, you know, here were the highlighted presenters because I handpicked all of these people and I know they're all excellent. Uh, so we, we just feel really blessed that we were able to offer it and, and put it together and, and it came off well, it was well received. Uh, and, and we're still sort of, um, you know, following up on some of the, the elements of that. We've had people come to us and sort of ask us to help them do their events and uh, help them with some consulting pieces. So it's led to a lot of uh, both credibility and visibility for the Procedo project. So that, that's been really exciting too. You know, one of the things, Andrea, that's really neat about virtual conferences is we've learned how we can get greater longevity and breadth of uh, distribution of content. Are there ways that uh, folks can still tap into the content right now? Yes, I believe that they can still tap into the content through April 4th. So there's a there's an on-demand ticket type that's that's active now if people still want to um, get into the content and, you know, and follow the Procedo project, subscribe to our newsletter, uh, follow us on social media because we'll be repurposing some of that content and continuing those conversations with those presenters. So there's, there's lots more to come. Uh, after Easter, we'll have a, a slate of free webinars on the website people can register for and we'll be helping walk hand in hand with our Catholic schools as they wrap up the year and get ready for the new one. Uh, Andrea, before we began recording, uh, you were mentioning uh, some of the strategic planning you and your colleagues are um, involved in right now uh, for the procedure project as you as you plan ahead. Can you share uh, some uh, dimensions of, of what's in store for the Procedo project? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have had several dioceses come to us and and really ask for advice in, in how to navigate through the federal funding that, that's coming through. One, some of the funding they weren't able to spend in the spring that they had planned to. Uh, so they have that money still allocated. They have money coming in from COVID relief and all the different title funding and EANS funding. And it, it's just a lot, you know, so how can we work with them? We have people who are experts in federal funding for who will consult for free to come in and say, here's, here's some different things you can look at. Here's how you're not maximizing this. Here's some maybe different ways you can reallocate some of these asks. You can get the most out of it. It is, um, a historic amount of money that's available to Catholic schools right now. And, and we want to help them be good stewards of that, of that. So uh, that, that's a big focus for us right now is just helping schools um, plan as good stewards, how they're going to use that to, to maximize um, their sustainability, not only for right now, because we have a pot of money to spend, but really how are you going to make this so it's helping you out long-term and it's going to elevate your practice and, and increase your sustainability over time. 
Is this something that you're going to make available then beyond these dioceses, hopefully in some of the webinars and things like that? Because this, I know uh, here in our diocese, this is really a, a big ticket item, you know, for us to look at. Yes, we are, you know, there'll be webinars on the topic and certainly anybody who, you know, has an interest in that, it would, would just like a more personalized one-on-one -on -one conversation. We're, we're happy to do that if they reach out to us at the Presido Project uh, or, you know, through through the if through you guys if they if they know you more than they know us you know I'm sure you'll be happy to connect us but that that consultative uh, piece we're happy to offer that to anybody who needs it or would like it uh, and then in addition you know a lot of people have come to us to said well we you know we haven't had our diocesan days or we you know we need to plan our PD for the spring and we're not quite ready to bring everyone together or you know we don't think we need to physically bring everyone together because. You know, we, we've transitioned to virtual pretty well. Uh, some schools are struggling with learning loss. Some say, you know what, we've been great with learning loss. We, you know, we want to look at other things instead. So, you know, the needs are different depending on if people have been in session, how well equipped they were to transition. Uh, we're doing technology audits. So, you know, sometimes dioceses want to say, how can they look at their technology impl implementation more systemically? Uh, so, you know, and, and it, it's uh, probably common to have pockets of sort of excellence in, in one area versus another and how, you know, how could we look at sort of bringing everyone uh, to that same level of ac excellence across a, a diocese. Mm -hmm. um, the other day I was going over your website just to kind of familiarize myself with some of the nuances and things that are going on with uh, with the Proceda project. And uh, I was intrigued on your about page. Of course, your mission says to seek uh, to develop, uh, implement and curate innovative models of Catholic education. And then one of the guidelines goes on to uh, take that even further saying we believe innovation is a mindset and a culture that needs to be cultivated and supported long term to create meaningful and sustainable change in Catholic education, you know, to some people, the word innovation is kind of scary, you know, like, are you going to change the faith? Are you going to, uh, you know, change the, the world of Catholic education? Could you kind of share a little bit of what uh, innovation means to you and uh, to the project as you work with schools? Absolutely. And I, and I wrote that so I can talk, I can talk with great authority to what I meant by that. You know, I have, in addition to my work with schools, I've also done a lot of work with uh, just different catechetical organizations uh, across, across church. Uh, innovation people sometimes sort of uh, associate with the idea of technology. And, you know, I, I get a lot of that fear-based emotional reaction, which, which I understand, you know, change is universally scary, right? So, you know, when I, when I try to explain this in the sense of, you know, sustainability and in, in business models, you know, from a marketing perspective, let's say, and, and I'm not reducing Catholicism to a product, but I just want to sort of use this analogy, you know, a, a company or a product, they want to get their message out in the, in the most effective way. Um, we have perfect content as people of faith. We, we have the Catholic faith. The content is perfect. What we have is a content marketing problem. How do we better evangelize and and put that message out there. We cannot be in the business of forming disciples if we are not in business. So this is not about changing the faith or changing belief or changing tradition. It's about better communicating it and educating people to bring them along with us because you know, we are called to be evangelizers and, and that's what we're trying to do. So uh, this is 
you know, when we say innovation, we don't mean it in the sense of, well, it's time for the church to change. It's really, you know, it's time for the church to think about if they are still reaching people the, the way that they want to be reaching them and what are those unmet needs. Uh, innovation happens when there's an unmet need that's identified and somebody meets it and then it, it changes. You know, when you talk about, you know, disruptors and influencers and all those buzzwords, who better encompasses that than Jesus Christ? He's the ultimate disruptor, the ultimate influencer, right? So, so innovation is Catholic tradition. It just is. That's well well put, Andrea. Uh, um, in your 20 years now in Catholic education and, and ministry, I, I'm thinking there's no doubt in your mind that these past 12 plus months now have been among the most unique and likely most challenging of, of your career. We've had wide-ranging issues uh, from racial tension to a global pandemic uh, to a hotly contested national election. For you as a leader in Catholic Ed, what has been the hardest adjustment over the past year? The hardest adjustment? There's been so many adjustments. I think... um change fatigue has is just universally there you know as much as i say oh we should innovate i understand why that just sounds exhausting uh, there has been tremendous change i think the other piece that is very challenging and it really doesn't matter if you're a catholic edu educator or leader or not it's just universally challenging is the divisiveness that just encompasses everything that we're doing but it, it is certainly it very prevalent in Catholic ministry and Catholic education. In trying to um, minister and care for our communities, we're doing so in a very public eye. Uh, so, you know, schools that that try to, you know, provide statements or outreach or something, there, there is a fear behind that of it's the wrong thing or it's too much or it's not enough or it's not inclusive enough, which sometimes can paralyze into, into doing nothing, uh, which is, is worse sometimes. So I, I think that there is just a lot of uh, people are exhausted. They want to do good. I, I think for the most part, people want, they want to include people. They, they want to help heal their communities. I think many Catholic leaders are more than willing to look at sort of some systemic um, historic wrongs maybe that have been part of their community that it's time to address in, in the, the tragedies that have happened um, with the murder of George Floyd and, and how people have reacted to that. I think, you know, people are now willing to look at themselves in a, in a different way, not because they, you know, necessarily meant harm by anything, but really, okay, what are, what are the things that we need to re-examine um, as educators, as Catholics, as leaders, as a church, and how are we going to lovingly support each other through that? Because that's the other piece. You know, we can sort of identify things that weren't right, but how do we together get to that next place and help everybody come along? And I think that that's, that's a real challenge. People want, want to do that work, but it's challenging work, and it can be, it can be scary because of some of the political divisiveness that's out there. Uh, that is uh, a big part of the digital discipleship movement that, that we are um, working on. It's Digital discipleship has been a passion of mine for, for many years. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's a lot of digital citizenship curriculum and those types of things that are out there is sort of in the secular side and taking elements of Catholic social teaching and social justice um, and tradition and infusing that into existing 
digital citizenship curriculum, there's a lot of meat there that, that really can help us um, tell those stories and, and operate as catechists and evangelists in a digital space um, that can help us all behave a little bit better in both in the public eye and digital spaces. And our young people can be great leaders in this area as well. Sometimes they're better at it than the adults, I, I dare say, in uh, maybe not universally, but I think sometimes we have some things to learn from, from the young people who've grown up with all of these platforms and technologies. I think that's a really good point. And I think uh, there are, you know, you've got everything from the baby boomers, which I'm a part of, to we've got the millennials, you've got the uh, Generation X, which is between the two. And then now you have Gen Y and Gen Z. And uh, uh, each of us brings a different context to that understanding. Uh, and so I think that is a big challenge right now uh, in terms of you know, meeting the needs of all of the different uh, generational communication pieces that you've got out there. Yeah, and we need to stop arguing with each other about the generations, too. I'm, I'm very tired of that. Even before the pandemic, that was, oh, the boomers this and the millennials this. And, you know, I mean, we are all just, we're all just trying to get to heaven. You yeah. know, let's, <laughs> let's just calm down and, and just be a little bit nice. I mean, I, I think if, if I could boil down my whole digital discipleship, it would just say, be nice. Just be nice. <laughs> Don't be a jerk online. And that, that would, if we could just do that one thing, I think that's 80% of digital citizenship and digital discipleship and all of these yeah. issues, you know? Yeah, yeah I, uh, I used to do a seminar entitled, Any Kook Can Have a Kingdom Online. <laughs> it kind of goes with that. I'd like to just kind of explore a little bit about, uh, about you and uh, your background. Uh, you currently live in Northern Virginia, but I'm guessing that's not where you were from originally. Could you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? Sure. I grew up in Bonita Springs, Florida. That's in between Naples and Fort Myers, um, so Southwest Florida. And uh, you know, my family's from there. I was there until uh, you know, till after I got married and started having babies and such. I uh, I went to school at St. Leo University in Tampa, Florida, and uh, I you know. My husband got transferred to Northern Florida, so that's that's how we went there. And uh, you know, I've just always, like I said earlier, I've always sort of had a a job in in Catholic ministry, one way or another. But I did grow up Catholic. My family was Catholic, um, and it had you know, my parents divorced when I was in elementary school. And I think, like a lot of families, you know, the, when that happens, like there can be sort of. Um, sort of a break in the faith a little bit. And, and over time, my family became less active in the church. When we, I was very young, my mother taught Sunday school and, you know, volunteered and did all those things. And then all of a sudden, you know, she was a working mom and our life was very, very different. Uh, I went to Catholic school, but then I couldn't anymore because we didn't have the resources. Uh, so, you know, I had like a little bit of a foot in, in sort of both worlds. We, I had a very kind of uh, storybook start and then things, you know, went awry as they do in life. And that, you know, makes you stronger in, in many ways. But I was blessed with a really um, strong, close, loving family. I still am. So uh, I, you know, I felt like I had a strong foundation there. But one of the things that, and people ask me, you know, why were you so dedicated to going to church when you were young? Because I was a teenager. As soon as I got my driver's license, I decided I'm going back to church. And I had a younger brother. He's much younger, 12 years younger. And I would take him because he, he didn't, he really wasn't part of that idyllic part, you know? So I always have sort of felt bad. He didn't get that, you know, going to church every week. And so I, I brought him, he was a toddler and I was a teenager. Um, 
so, but I, that was like our special little thing that I took him to church and, and then, you know, as, as he got older and I, I, I don't, I can't say I know why I did it. I just felt like compelled. Like I wanted him to have that because we had that. And I always found the church and the faith to be a constant in my life when a lot got taken away. So, you know, I, I just feel like I've just always had this call to be in church one way or another and it's continued professionally. And it's just always something that, you know, has made me feel at peace that I, you know, I have a home here and it has been a tremendous, overwhelming, humbling blessing to be in Washington, D.C. and be on these national committees and be on podcasts and telling people what I think about church uh, because who cares what I think, <laughs> you know, but, but God put me here. So I'm going to say it. And I, you know, I'm very cognizant that that is, that is a blessing. And I feel very, very lucky to have gotten to serve, you know, in, in this capacity and, and get to continue to serve in the capacity and now be in a position where, I'm really forming my own voice um, where I had been a support and a voice for other organizations and I'm proud of the work that I've done. I think this is a sort of next level step for me that I'm very thankful for. And I hope that it helps. I hope that it helps school. That's, that's really the point. I just want help and I want the work to matter. That's it. Andrew, as you reflect on uh, your career in Catholic ed uh, to this point, who were, were um, some of the main influences uh, on your discernment uh, in, in this journey? Sure. I can tell you um, my, one of the teachers I taught with in my last teaching assignment in Panama city, Mr. Jimmy boss. Um, he was, he, he still teaches at that school. I think he's in his 38th year at that school uh, and started teaching there in his twenties and was such a, um, in a very unofficial capacity, a spiritual director to me, where, yes, I'd had, I'd, I'd had my sacraments, I grew up Catholic, I'd been in the church, but really, um, you know, sort of deepening my prayer life and, and my personal devotions and learning a thing or two about obedience when things were not ideal at the school and, and those types of things. I think spiritually he brought me a really long way as a friend and a colleague. And the, you know, the interesting thing about that friendship is that he was very technology phobic. Um, where I used to say he couldn't say the word computer without the prefix evil, the evil computer, the evil iPad, the evil, you know, and then, and then we got a pastor who came in and it was, it was not a great situation. But we had a pastor who came in very suddenly and, and was one of those, I'm going to change everything right now kind of guys. And, you know, bought all this technology and we had no infrastructure for it. And we had all these wonderful veteran teachers who just really had varying levels of ability. And the person who was the, the computer teacher at the time didn't know anything about Apple products. So Father Randy, when you're reading the iPad coordinator, Google, I did that out of necessity. There was no plan, no plan. So, you know, with Mr. Boss to help him just really, he was my friend and I wanted to help him keep his job. And he came to my house every Wednesday over the summer and we practiced. Here's how you send an email. Here's what an attachment is. Here's how you do your online gradebook. There was no goal other than to help because he helped me. And I was like, well, this is easy. This I can do. So, you know, I, 
informally started helping people. And in the middle school, this is a Florida school, so it's all courtyard. The, ki the older kids that I taught were blue and the, the elementary kids were white. So whenever um, an elementary teacher needed help, my middle schoolers would say, Mrs. Cop, a white shirt is coming. <laughs> and, they would, and they would hand me a little note and I'd say, okay. And then I'd run and help whatever they needed to do with their smart board because we just got so much technology and no training. Uh, we had kids with iPads and we didn't have Wi-Fi. I mean, I just had to figure it out. And <laughs> yeah. That's the and, proverbial cart before the horse. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I think there was so much struggle in that situation. Um, and through that struggle, every single one of those things that we thought, this is terrible, has become something that has put me on the map later on. You know, if I hadn't, you know, had to figure out how to become a, a Google school back in 2013, uh, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And, and all the, you know, the iPad stuff, I learned with my kids, the kids I was teaching, because they had these things and their parents were like, they're just wasting time all day. And I was like, you're right. So let's figure it out. And we, we figured out together how to implement these things, which is, it was a good way to learn, honestly, because the kids know more than we do sometimes. So it was, it, it was fun to sort of evolve that way as a professional with my students and really get to see what they did. So, you know, I would say like biggest influence colleague wise, I would say Mr. Jimmy Voss for sure. I've had some wonderful mentorship through the NCEA as well though. I mean, I've just been really, really blessed. We'll have to make sure Jimmy gets a recording of this podcast. Andy. I will. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, uh, our audience is predominantly Catholic educators, and uh, they're all in the trenches as you are and as you have been. As you look back over all that you've done, uh, maybe this would be kind of helpful for those who are in the trenches. Can you think of your biggest professional setback and how you navigated through that to, uh, to a good place? Well, you know, I'm going to... I wasn't prepared for this question. I'm gonna go with um, this year. I, I didn't expect to be downsized from the NCEA this year. I was a very high performer and I had just gotten promoted and you know, the, the world fell apart and they you know, rightly had to make some really tough decisions and it just so happened the things that I was in charge of weren't gonna be things. So they had to make some, some tough calls. Uh, and to be able, you know, I, I knew that I had relationships with other companies and organizations that I could tap into, but I didn't know for sure what was going to happen. Uh, so there was, there was a little bit of panic there in sort of thinking, okay, what am I going to do now? It was the middle of a year. It's not as, you know, that wasn't the ideal time to be looking for a job in Catholic education when the whole, the whole education system shut down. Uh, so I, I know I'm very cognizant of how blessed I was to, you know, be so quickly taken up by Edgescape and, and forming the Presido project. And I've worked really, really hard um, with lots of help from good people. I mean, we, we talked about all of the people who came to Forefront um, it, to present, which was over 50 people came, donated their time live. And I say donated, no, nobody got a penny for doing that. Everybody came and did that um, in service to Catholic schools. And I was able to cash in lots of favors and leverage lots of relationships to make it happen. Uh, so I think that probably is the biggest setback, but then it was also a great blessing in many ways. Uh, 
you know, I, I think Catholic school teachers are just heroes. They, they do more with less continually. Um, they, they deserve the recognition for that. We need to do better with our financial models to make sure that they're compensated and, and treated professionally. Um, we need to help them elevate their own practice uh, because there, there should be great pride in, in being a Catholic school educator. I'm very proud of Catholic school educators and proud to be one uh, and proud to help them. Uh, Andrew, there's a age old adage that says demographics are destiny. And right now, the metrics in our American Catholic Church don't seem very hopeful. What counsel advice do you have for our, our fellow leaders in Catholic education who are in the trenches about the current demographics and, and our situation? By demographics, do you mean um, age demographics, numbers? What are you, which demographics yeah, are you referring to? I think before our recording, you alluded to the NCA uh, uh, data mm -hmm. uh, report that re was released uh, a couple of months ago about um, uh, the sharp decline in enrollment to a 50-year low. Uh, I, I think that's key among the data that's on a lot of minds and hearts right now. Sure. Um, I mean, infant baptism rates have been plummeting over the last 20 years in particular. All of this is, you know, a future funnel uh, for those who are ministering in Catholic schools. Um, uh, so I'm just curious your thoughts on that and, and what advice you might give to those who, who see this and say, gosh, what is that going to mean for us? Sure. Well, I think that it's really important to remember that we're people of faith and not be fatalistic about, okay, well, let's just, let's just ride this thing out till the, till the bitter end. Uh, you know, we have a lot of opportunity uh, in front of us. Enrollment now should not and does not have to be limited to the number of desks you have in a, in a physical space. Okay, so we have learned a thing or two about remote instruction and, and new ways of doing things. Um, what are we gonna do with that information to maybe expand what our idea of enrollment is? Um, when are we gonna stop competing against our neighborhood schools and parishes for resources and start cooperating with them? Because partnership is, is gonna be the way to go here. We have to stop the, the petty infighting over, you know, the the religious ed kids broke the crayons in my classroom. And, you know, th that, that sort of stuff that you laugh because it's completely relatable, right? You know, so we have, we have to start thinking outside of ourselves in a little bigger picture and remember that we're all in the same ministry here. So I, I think looking at partnerships in a different way. I think we need to look at allocation of resources. Um, there are families now whose lifestyles are completely changed. Um, maybe they had a, a child who did better with remote learning because of their social emotional needs. Um, or they're in a family situation where, you know, the child has to split time between two parents or the parents are now used to working remotely and they want to go live on a sailboat six months of the year can we still provide them a catholic education uh, we need to we need to do better with special education and inclusion we we need to really um, make a point of 
of having everyone feel not only welcome, but well-served in our schools. It's not about, okay, we'll accept you. It's really, we're going to accept you and you're going to excel here. This is where you belong. And, and I think that there's some mindset with that as well. You know, with, with special education, there are some people who, you know, maybe feel like that's going to change the demographics of their school and, or maybe they won't be looked upon as well because of stats or data. You know, that's not, it's not who we are as Catholics. We're, we're called to be inclusive uh, and, and we need to look at what that means in our communities and how we can partner with other people to do that. I think educating ourselves on, you know, our rights and federal regulations and, and how schools can maximize the, the funding and things that are there. I think that some schools sort of try to stay out of that because they say, well, you know, if we take federal money, we can't do this, we can't do that. But that's not really true. There's a lot that Catholic education, private education can do with federal funds and still keep their Catholicity. I think we need to look at, uh, you know, marketing and, and business as, as a reality of our schools. You can take the best teacher in the world and, and educate them and elevate them to a principal, and they can be a fantastic instructional leader. But the reality is they are now running a multi-million dollar business, and we haven't educated them to do that. So I think we need to do better in our leadership preparation programs on that specifically. I think our Catholic higher institution, higher institutions need to be in partnership with this as well. How can we make um, those skill gaps really more accessible financially and time-wise? Uh, not everyone has time to go do a doctorate in organizational leadership to learn those things. Uh, so how can, how can our Catholic colleges and universities help? How can they help with diversity? How can we, you know, make sure that we're attracting new people to Catholic education and helping place them and then mentor and keep them in Catholic education? That's probably a lot more than you wanted me to say. <laughs> yeah, that, that's some excellent thoughts, uh, Andrea, and I'm glad. This is like I'm seven more podcasts right now. Yes, I know. <laughs> We'll have to have you back. I mean, we could totally unpack uh, some of those points uh, into excellent episodes, I know. Absolutely. So, uh, Andrea, if, if people want to know more about the Procedo Project, where, where online would they go? They can go to the presidoproject.org uh, and anywhere on social media is at the Presido Project. They can find me personally at ADCOP, K-O-P-P 76. I'm easy to find online. Just Google me. Uh, and yeah, that, that's the easiest, quickest way to connect with us. Uh, and please tag us in things and tell us what's going on in your school. Uh, Kyle, you mentioned the NCEA data. Uh, I also have heard a lot of people really sort of upset about that narrative because they say, hey, wait a minute, our enrollment has gone up. Or, hey, wait a minute, we've done this in our community. And it's not all gloom and doom. There's a lot of positivity out there. So the, the Presido Project wants to tell those stories and, and bring that, that balance, that equation a little bit because Catholic schools have done a yeoman's task in, in impossible circumstances, as we always do, and have done great things. So we, we want to be able to support you. And uh, if we can help help you with any of your needs, uh, call us up. If we can't do it, we know someone who can. Well, that's wonderful. And uh, we really want to thank you for being with us today. This has really been, uh, as Kyle said, this has been a great, great uh, content-rich discussion. And uh, we do need to circle back around and, and um, have you back again to maybe unpack some of the things, especially in that latter part where you were just sharing some really, really inspiring things that we need to talk about uh, as educators. And it's interesting that the pandemic has really been, I think, has brought the best out of Catholic education in terms of uh, this has been a time where we've seen here locally in, in our high school, a huge influx of public school 
students because we are in person and we're educating and they get here and they're just enjoying it. And so this is a great season for us. Yeah, I think that um, for many, many years, I always heard, you know, well, how do we compete with free? Well, we didn't. I mean, free's gone and, and we've done some good work. But the question is, how are you going to compete with free? How are you going to keep them? You know, how are you going to make your community irresistible? Because I will tell you as a parent, if I were ever angry at my child's teacher, it would be really hard for me to leave that school because I identify with that community. You know, I'd be much more likely to stay because that, that's home to me. So we need to think about that as well. Our families are yearning for social community. We have been so isolated in the pandemic. So there's tremendous opportunity there. And we are... This is what we do. We're, we're communities of faith. Like the, all of these things are are part of our tradition. I think this is a little bit of a wake up call. Say, hey, you know, COVID's not a strategy. What are we gonna do? You know, what are we gonna keep? What needs to be refined? But there are lessons to be learned, and and it is not like that's over. Let's just get back to the old way. That's not gonna work. Andrew, you'll have to attend uh, my NCA session next week, uh, the Catholic School as Parish, a post-pandemic solution, question Absolutely. mark. <laughs> well, Andrea, again, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, we're so excited about being able to uh, give some more uh, visibility to the Procedo Project and uh, to all that you're doing there. Congratulations on Forefront 2021. That was a, a great event to participate Thank in. You. And we're looking forward to more great things that uh, that you're having in the future. And uh, again, for our audience, if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and be sure to leave a comment to encourage us toward future programs. We also want to thank our production interns, John Sampson and Alex Shire, uh, as long and along with our production supervisor, Mr. Jack Alsbach, for producing this podcast. And may Almighty God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.